0: This is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We've been in a series entitled Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. We come to Mark chapter 10, and I describe Mark chapter 10 and what we're going to read here, especially early in the chapter, as Christ crossing the Rubicon of relative safety And he's entering into Judea, which would be certain jeopardy for him. But we know that he was intent, as we'll see in Mark 10, to go to your cross and my cross, to die on that cross as God's perfect sinless sacrifice to pay the full price for our sin. Nothing will deter him. And so we see in Mark 10 that he crosses that Rubicon, the Jordan River, and makes his way resolutely to Jerusalem. Let's go to Mark 10. Mark, of course, is the second book in the New Testament, and that's in the last half of your Bible. So find the second half of your Bible, find the Gospel of Matthew, and the next book will be the Gospel of Mark so we're in Mark 10, and we're going to start in verse 1. And he arose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. So Christ crosses the Jordan, and he begins to make his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And as always happened, great crowds began to follow him for healing and to hear his teaching. Verse 2, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Now the Pharisees, as we've mentioned before, were the Bible-believing conservatives in the day that Jesus Christ walked this earth. They were not necessarily bad people. They were pretty serious about what they were doing, but they were missing God right in front of them because they had piled rules upon rules, you know, human rules upon the word of God, and um, everything was just a train wreck. Christ came to do what religion could not do. Were these very religious and on average very sincere religious professionals, so to speak, came to Jesus, and they were trying to trip him up. Now, you're in very bad shape if you say you love God, and you're trying to uh, poke holes in what God is saying. That's a problem for you. So they came tempting him, and he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. You see, they they could have had their wives stoned, killed. But a permission of divorce was granted, and this was to regulate abuse of women. So, this would protect these women in these cases where the husband was being or wanted to be unfaithful. So, verse 6 But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, friends, there's so much loaded in here that I'm going to try not to get bogged down, but just hit the high points in this one verse. Jesus Christ, answer their question, doesn't go back to, you know, Dr. So and so and Professor So and so said this. He goes right back to God creating the universe and creating the world we live in. Jesus clearly believes that God the Father and and actually Christ Himself created what we everything we see out of nothing that we see. And he goes back to the point of creation and says God made them male and female. There are no other genders here. There's nobody transferring from one to the other. God made people male and female. This is how the world works best. It's God's plan. Verse 7. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain or or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So he doesn't get all bogged down in their arguments and fall for their tricks and their traps. He just says, hey, this is, he goes back to the original creative design of God, who is the perfect authority on marriage and family. So if you are struggling with issues there, I encourage you to seek the counsel of a godly Bible-believing pastor or a a Christian counselor who actually uses the Bible in their counseling. And you can have your... Uh, questions and issues resolved biblically through the love of Christ. But the perfect plan God made is male and female in marriage as God created it. But then we see that he not only speaks on marriage, but the family. He speaks on children. So we see here next... um, and I'm not even getting into the whole divorce and remarriage thing uh, because I'm trying to stay true to the text here. He only addresses that answer. But if you will read the New Testament, God gave further revelation regarding divorce and remarriage. So we'll cover that at another time, but you certainly can read that in the book of uh, First Corinthians, and, um, and you, your understanding of that will grow as you read that. But I'm saying Jesus goes back to the original creation of what God originally intended, and he says the problem with you guys is you you want to ditch your wives to find a, a younger one, you know, or a better-looking one or whatever. And he just says that's adultery. So he goes to the heart of their problem, and he, he puts it like a good doctor. He puts his finger right on it says, does it hurt here? And she'll put away her husband and be married to another. She committeth adultery. So he he just he explains this so that they hopefully they get it. And as I said, you can read the Lord's further revelation to the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians, where you'll you'll have a greater discussion of divorce and remarriage. Verse three. All right. So now. We go to verse uh, 13, verse 13 in Mark chapter 10. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Sort of like, hey, 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 get those kids out of here. This is Jesus. Well, that was not a good thing to do. (laughs) Verse 14. Even two of our presidents um, that I can think of had children in the White House, and they would often come into meetings or into the, uh, uh, like in President Kennedy's case, into the Oval Office. Uh, President Lincoln didn't have the Oval Office, but uh, had an office in the White House itself. But uh, his young son was welcome, and he never ran him out. And Jesus, Jesus here, shows his heart not only for marriage, but marriage and family, marriage and children. And I would say this to you. If you want things to go well for you in life, from this point forward, to the best of your ability, with God's help, following Scripture, pattern your marriage and your family and your dealing with children after God's original plan. And that's what Jesus goes back to. Other versions of that, and adaptations of that, and changes to that, If people go down those roads, things are not going to go well. If you want your life to be blessed, as these children were blessed, find out what the pattern of God is, and follow that pattern. That's how you get the blessing of God. And if you need help with that, a godly Bible-believing pastor a Christian counselor who counsels using the Bible can be of help to you. Verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Now, what the rich young ruler, that's what we often call this person here, he was very well-respected and high-ranking in his synagogue and his, um, you know, his community and business and among his family and all that. When Jesus said this, what I think that rich young ruler should have said is, yeah, but you're God. <laughs> but he didn't do that. So Jesus answers back in verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, a lot of times when preachers and teachers deal with this passage here, they get onto this guy saying, yeah, but he was a complete hypocrite, and he was this and he was that. I think that he sincerely tried to live as the best he understood, the right kind of life, but he knew something was missing. Like one of the church fathers said, there's a God shaped vacuum in our hearts, and our hearts seek to fill that vacuum until eventually, hopefully, we find God and God fills that vacuum. That was this guy, even though he was religious and well respected, a leader among his religious community and uh, fabulously rich, apparently, which was very well respected among um, the people of his day. They figured, hey, if you're being blessed like that, that has to be from God. You must be doing something right. You can see how that plays in here in just a minute. So Jesus focuses on the six commandments that have to do with how people live their life and how they treat people, Okay. But Jesus didn't bring up yet the four commandments that deal with one's relationship with God. So the guy's saying, hey, everything I I know to do is how to treat people, I do the right thing. Now, Jesus didn't put him down here. This is so neat. Verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. It's sort of like he's saying, okay, you ask, and I'm God, and I'm going to tell you what's holding you back. The one thing that's holding you back is this. Now, by the way, I think this can be the problem of a lot of people, what Jesus is going to say. It, but you know what? Your problem may not be this. It may be some other thing. If you're not a Christian, there's something holding you back, and it, it, it is usually a particular sin or something in your life It's a stronghold that keeps you from yielding your life to Christ. So Jesus is going to tell him the answer to what he asked. Now, by the way, when you ask God a question, you better be prepared for the answer because you're going to get, if you're sincere, you're going to get a truthful answer. So here it goes. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22 And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Have you figured it out? Jesus puts his finger like the great physician on the one thing holding this guy back, and, it, and he's going to tell what it is. So I want Jesus to explain this. So let's read further. Verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples. Now, l- let me stop just a second. I, w- I want to really, really emphasize here that the rich young ruler that came to Jesus asking that question, I mean, he was a soul winner's perfect opportunity to lead somebody to Christ, right? I mean, textbook opportunity. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Wow, you don't hear that a lot. Perfect question. And he was a grade A, number one, blue chip, five star prospect to get saved and be a great Christian. But Jesus tells him what his problem is and he doesn't want to do that and he walks away. So sad. All right, verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. You remember I said that the Jewish people, uh, you know, the people who followed the Bible believe that if you lived right, God would bless you, and the more you were blessed, well, man, you must really be living right, doing something right. And I think, on average, God does that, and God blesses us, and when we live right, good things happen. But it doesn't keep bad things from happening to people either. And everybody who loves the Lord is not fabulously rich like this guy was. But anyway, the I guess the thinking was, well, the, well, the richer you are, it shows God's blessing you, and because you're so wealthy, you can be a big blessing to others, you know, give to your religious organization, help the poor, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, evidently, that guy wasn't doing a lot of that, because uh, the Lord kind of put his finger on that. But anyway, the disciples heard what Jesus said, and it just knocked them out. Like, What? How can this be? But Jesus answered, answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? This guy's problem that Jesus put his finger on is he was depending on his riches, not a relationship with God not the righteousness of God. He could see and touch and spend and save his riches. But in order to have what he said he wanted, those were in his way. And the only way he could have the righteousness of God and a relationship with God is to get the things out of his way that were in his way, keeping him from Jesus. But when Jesus told him exactly what his problem was, trusting in riches, he walked away grieved. I hope you're not like that. No matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter what your circumstances are in life, don't let anything or anyone or any situation or any sin stand between you and coming to Christ Because what's on the line is your eternal salvation. That's what's on the line. And Jesus just said he's trusting in his riches. He can't enter into the kingdom of God trusting in his riches. Verse 25, and here's one saying of Jesus I bet you've heard. And he, I think he says it for effect, although I've heard people try to explain how this is possible. I don't think that's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is to give them an absurd illustration so that they get it. And when I read this, let me go ahead and say, some people have said that, well, this was a small door in in a large city gate that people could go through like at night when the gates were closed. But for a camel to go through, you'd have to unload everything on the camel and squeeze it through and all of that. And that's maybe there was one of those. I don't know. The only problem is nobody's ever found one. Doesn't mean it didn't exist. That's usually the explanation for what Jesus is saying. But I think he was giving them a, a ridiculous illustration so that they would go like, wow, completely impossible. Here's what he said. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. (laughs) I mean, he said that for effect, and it hit them right between the eyes and in the heart. And verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon Them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Wow, Amen. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. You know, the kingdom of God, as the world looks at it, is completely upside down in its values. But actually, the kingdom of God, those are the right values, and it's the world's system that's upside down. I hope you're living with the right kingdom in view, not this present worldly kingdom but the eternal kingdom of God. And then your values are going to be right, but the world will say they're wrong. That's okay. You know, I'm actually excited about the day and age in which we live in because everything that used to be right is now considered wrong. But I know they're right because it's God's word. The principles and values that I was raised with, the right way to look at life and live is now considered wrong. Um, we are becoming, as Christians, more and more unpopular. That is so exciting because there's starting to be a real difference between Christians and those who are not in the world system. And people are beginning to reject the sayings of Jesus. Jesus predicted that. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they accepted my sayings, they'll accept yours. But if they didn't, they won't. I'm cool. I'm good with that. God will help us. Amen? And there's a bigger and bigger obvious difference between the world system and the kingdom of God. I want to be part of the kingdom of God. How about you? Verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's, that's himself now, the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise. Every single thing Jesus predicted right here is exactly what others did to him in Jerusalem. But he went there anyway to go to our cross. But you know, even though he told them that, they they were more focused amazingly on themselves sometimes, just like we are. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for, uh, for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, by the way, friends, I think that could be a dangerous prayer right there. If we got everything we asked for, we would be regretting a lot of things. Amen. But anyway, they, they want Jesus to pre-commit. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want, I'll do that. But of course, Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 36, And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can Wow, You know, sometimes we overrate our abilities. And I think they were, it would be way harder than they could have possibly imagined. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I'm baptized withal, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Oh man, a big fight breaks out here. Like, who do you think you are? You two. You know, and they began to probably argue about it. You know, who's the greatest? Like they've already done before. We've seen that. And um, so the Lord You know, the Lord calls them sort of like a huddle, a time-out, huddle lot, sort of like that. Verse 42, But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, that is like a a servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus reminds them that they they are getting off track, and starting to think like the world thinks about position and power and authority. You know, you give the wrong people position, power, and authority, and they just go crazy with it. And the disciples were were kind of verging on that. And Jesus says, no, 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 guys, that's not how my kingdom operates. The greatest ones in my kingdom are not the ones who are served the most, but the ones who serve the most people. It's not... Uh, you know, how great you are, but how many people you serve. Who are you serving, by the way? Who are you lowering yourself to serve and put their interests first? Jesus says those are the great ones in his kingdom. General Norman Schwarzkopf learned this lesson early in his military career. Of course, we know him, passed away a few years ago recently, but we know him as the great battle commander um, back in the first persian gulf war great man but he told in his book of being a young infantry officer in hawaii and he was driving his men really hard harder than any uh, of the other first lieutenants and he would have his his guys his company out marching, you know, on holidays and you know, weekends and training in Hawaii and all of that, you know, 25-mile marches and with full pack and all of that and on one of those occasions his commanding officer found out about this and was aware of it and I think if I remember correctly drove up to him in a jeep while he had his men out on one of these and said, "You know, just basically his point was, you know, you can, you can drive people like that or you can lead them. And if you lead them, they'll be loyal to you. Put your men first, take care of them, and they'll do anything you want. But you can't drive them like slaves. And he said this made a great impact on him and helped him when he was, uh, not long after that, a combat, young combat officer in Vietnam. That he began to make sure that his men had hot meals, they had all the equipment and ammo and everything they needed, and, and and he would he would eat last. That's the kind of kingdom Jesus is talking about here, where leadership puts others first. Are you that kind of leader? Do you put the interest of others first, even if it makes you suffer? If you do, then you're a great leader and you're great in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says here that you've got to line up how you view the kingdom and the values, the kingdom way and not the world's way. The world's way will run over their grandmother to get power. And I could mention a certain political party here, but I'm going to let it go. But the idea that... um, that you will do whatever it takes to get and keep power is chilling. That's not the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 46, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho, now this is where he met Zacchaeus and um, uh great things, you know, that happened at lunch at Zacchaeus' house when he trusted Christ. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he essentially, in my mind here, he's calling Jesus the Messiah, the great son of great King David. He recognized who Jesus was. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Shut up, old man. You're bothering Jesus. I just added that. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Now I want to stop right there. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Within just a few days, the disciples will go into Jerusalem and get Get the donkey that Jesus will ride into Jerusalem on. And within that week, Jesus will, like he said, be scourged and mocked and spit upon and killed and rise again the third day. All of that is about to happen, what we call the the week of the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ. All of that is about to happen. Momentous things where the salvation of those that trust Jesus hangs in the balance. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Jesus is an awesome leader as he puts people first. And they call the blind man saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Now by the way, Jesus doesn't heal everybody in the same way every time. So this is a different way jesus heals this guy than we've seen other blind people healed by jesus isn't that interesting and he casting away his garment rose and came to jesus and jesus answered and said unto him what wilt thou that i should do unto thee now by the way when god asks you a question be very careful about your answer the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He didn't ask to become immediately wealthy or any great person, famous, anything like that. He said, Lord, I want to be able to see again. And that was a worthy request. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. And I notice here he doesn't touch him or anything. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Wow. Bartimaeus here was the polar opposite of the rich young ruler we saw earlier. The rich young ruler, there were things he just wouldn't do, but the disciples did them. They left everything to follow Jesus, and Bartimaeus followed Jesus. The rich young ruler, he wouldn't do it. The disciples did it. Bartimaeus did it. Bartimaeus came to Christ. I hope today, as we have concluded chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, that you are seeing Jesus in a fresh, new, real way as the Savior and Lord, who not only wants to be your Savior and Lord, but who wants to be closely involved in your life. And I hope that if you are not yet a Christian, that today you will confess your sin to Christ and you will receive Him into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior and if you are already a Christian, that you will grow in your walk with the Lord, and there would be nothing that He could ask of you that you would not do. Thanks for listening. We'll be in chapter 11 next week when Jesus prepares and enters into Jerusalem to go to our cross. Thank you for listening. Invite others to listen as well. They can find our podcast on Google Play on Apple iTunes, or they can go directly to the app and download it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. And remember that doctor, that DR, has no period after it. dredhill.podbean.com. That'll take you to the page where you can download the free app. Tell your friends, neighbors, family, so on, coworkers, They can listen for free. They can grow in their knowledge of of the Word and their walk with Christ. Thanks again for being with us today. God bless you is my prayer.